You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 23. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing leadership games, including victims, villains, and heroes with Ben Morden. We'll be talking about the secret ingredient of true commitment, the formula for high performance, and why soft skills are really the hard skills, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what the show's about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Ben Morton. Ben is a sought-after leadership mentor, coach, and best-selling author. After graduating from the Royal Military Academy, he served two tours in Iraq. Ben went from the battlefield to the boardroom, blending his military and corporate leadership training. Disappointed by traditional leadership training, Ben started coaching and mentoring others to become the most authentic version of themselves as leaders. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. And, you know, Ben, as a former captain in the British Army, you know, what similarities and differences do you see between leadership in the military versus the corporate environment? It's a great question. Um, and when you sent this through before, like it really got me reflecting on what some of those differences are and similarities. I think it's probably easier to, to start with the differences in that I think um, in the military, and so this was my experience uh, in the military, I think uh, we were, the military are very good at um, blending and keeping a dual focus on both the, the task and, and the people. Um, I think perhaps that's because sort of leadership in the British Army is very much focused or at its core is still sort of John Adair's model of task, team and an individual. So that's kind of really drummed into you as a key leadership model. Um, I think perhaps it's because um, due to the very nature of what the, the army exists to do, to do, we are ultimately put in people's lives on the line in service of an outcome or, or a mission. So that means we focus a little bit more on, on, the, on the people. Whereas I think in the corporate world, we can tend to focus much more on the task and, and the objective. And people can sometimes in some organizations be viewed as just a tool or, or a means to an end perhaps. And the, the root of that is probably the industrial revolution, right? Where kind of the focus was all on productivity and that's why kind of management thinking kind of grew and evolved and I think in the civilian corporate world that's almost overtaken and and sort of replaced some some leadership skills um, perhaps so if I'm kind of following the the dots that you're connecting here is going back even to the industrial revolution where it was task focused in the military, it's, you said it's people focused and you said, so task, team and the individual. So theoretically, two thirds of that is the people focus because the stakes are so high. You're putting your life on the line and you have to re respect that. Otherwise, you're not going to get that buy in. In the business world, it, the stakes aren't necessarily that high. They are high, but they're not as apparently high as it would be in, in the military. So is that part of what has driven your vision to help people 
to bring in the people focus that you have from the military to focus on the team and focus on the individual in terms of being an authentic version, best version of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I've no doubt I'll probably say this a, a couple of times during during the space of this this call. And you're right, whilst the, the stakes aren't so high, um, I think because my sort of formative um, leadership training, my formative years were, were in the military, I was always acutely aware of the fact that everybody I was was leading was somebody's husband or or son. And I was potentially leading them into into harm's way. Now, as you keep coming back to this, the stakes perhaps they are as high, they're just different in, in the business world. But certainly I, I I hope for most leaders in the business world, like we're never gonna be uh, leading in situations where we're putting people's lives on the line. But still everybody we lead in the corporate world is the most sort of um, important person in the world to somebody else. Everyone we lead is someone's husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, mom, dad, or, or whatever. And how, how we act as leaders, what we do, how we behave, what we say, it doesn't just impact people between nine and five, Monday to Friday or whatever, when, when they're working for us, it, it spills over into their, into their lives. And I just don't believe Kind of as a, as a leader, we have the right to impact negatively on people's lives out, out outside of work. Like, yes, it will happen from from time to time because there are tough periods at work. Stuff goes on. There are demanding times, but we just need to understand and remember that kind of we're, we're leading and looking after after people as well as just trying to hit a, a revenue figure or deliver X many products out of the factory in X many days, right? Well, that's really illuminating because I know on your, on your website, you had shared that that belief you said that the person I'm dealing with, the person I'm leading, that they are the most important person for someone else in their life. That is so person centric and it really seems like that changes your focus. How, how have you seen that impacting people when they start adopting that really caring empathy mindset? How has that shifted their leadership styles? Well, the well, the the outcome is the sort of results engagement just goes through the roof, right? Because people suddenly get a sense that their leader knows them, they care about them, they see them as a human being rather than just a a, a number or a tool to help them them achieve their achieve their um, their, their results, right? I've just come to the end of doing a sort of big um, cultural change project for a large pharmaceutical company and actually one of the main things we've done is um, helped everybody connect more as human beings help leaders open up a little bit more kind of drop their work mask a little bit more and like the the data shows kind of their engagement results have kind of massively increased and anecdotally everyone's saying it's, it's amazing i've got to know my boss more in the last six weeks than I have in the last 18 months. Amazing. So it seems so simple. You focus on the people, you develop the people and the output, which is the task focus that people really want, that naturally as a byproduct improves because the quality of the relationship and the team dynamics change too. Absolutely. Yeah. Because people want to work hard they want to support each other they don't want to to let e each other down um and, and yeah and, and that's that's what shifts it i often say that the reason um 
bravery medals are awarded in in the military it's not because of any sense of duty to queen and country as we often say say in the uk it's not that you're doing something brave or putting your life on on the line for the mission it's you putting your life on the line for the the guys and the girls either side of you because you, you don't want to let them down because there's this real sense of connection between between people so when people are connected when people know their leaders care about them as human beings people will do incredible things for each other so that drive that connection to the team is more motivating and inspiring and willing to sacrifice than perhaps the mission of the organization especially when you think about the military if that's true it's got to be true in the corporate world as well is is the mission of an organization still important or is the mission really about connection to a higher sense of belonging? Well, that's a good question. Um, like I, I, there's lots of kind of research has been done on this and my own personal experience, I, I think supports this. So I think we get the highest or higher levels of engagement when people can connect to, to what the organization is doing. I think if you are working for a company where you have no connection or belief in ultimately why that organization exists, you're probably not going to bring your very best self self to work. Um, so I think that's, that's important. I don't know which kind of takes, takes precedent. I, I, I don't think. That might I be think, a hard one. Yeah. Like, don't, get, yeah. don't get me yeah. wrong. Like there's always going to be a, a, task or mission to achieve and that's always going to going to be important but fundamentally i think one of the building blocks upon which success is built is connection trust relationships all of that sort of stuff and that can be the stuff that can be seen as the the soft stuff right or the soft skills and we'll we'll skirt over that because let's just get to the task stuff or get to the to the meat of the of the problem but like i'm sure you'll you'd agree like a lot of the in inverted commas soft stuff is often the hard stuff right <laughs> yeah exactly the technical stuff is is easy to learn right the skills involved in that are um very easy to learn but it is the interpersonal the quote-unquote soft skills which which kind of gets us into that discussion around the traditional leadership and and i know that one of the inspirations you you had that that brought you into a different message than what a lot of is out there traditionally was a dissatisfaction in traditional leadership training. Can you tell us like, what was your experience about that and how it, how it shaped you and your mission personally? Yeah. So um, my, probably my second major job after leaving the military was working for um, like the, the biggest uh, retailer in, in the UK, uh, which is, which is Tesco. Um, and I'm always really conscious whenever I, I I talk about this. Like I'm I'm not anti anti Tesco. I'm not kind of sort of beating them up because um, I learned a huge huge amount when I in my 18 months working at that that organisation. Um, and I think that's always on us as leaders to to take the learning from from every experience. Um, but when I saw some of the leadership training that was was going on there a fair bit of it didn't sit that well with me. And it wasn't necessarily how leadership training was, was developed. Admittedly, some of it wasn't, wasn't that inspiring and I, I thought it could have been better, but that wasn't the, the main issue. My, my frustration, um, which is born out of my journey into, into leadership, 
was that it, it again it focused very much on just the the task like get the job done and it was focused very much on here are a load of leadership tools models or concepts that you can use to help you achieve your your targets or or goals and there was very little that really spoke to what it truly meant to be a leader like the 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 purpose of a leader there was very little that touched on like the people that you lead and looking after them and and developing them and it all just started to to feel a little incongruent or in, inauthentic to me to the point where and I, I wrote about this in in my book there was um there's a guy who was going through his leadership program that would get him promoted to to director level and as part of that program he had to deliver a project in into the business um, i didn't know this guy at all but the part of the business i worked in um I, I could help him deliver this project so he found me on the internal email system introduced himself hey ben can i can i come around and, and see you i'm working on working on this project i said yeah no no problem and tesco at the time had a, a model an influencing model called take, taking people with you. Um, there was a point where the cynics in the organization started to call it dragging people behind you. Um, <laughs> but basically it was, a, it was a, four, a four step model and the graphic was built around like a um, the, the diamond on a baseball pitch. And he came to my desk and he, he found me and he saw a picture of my daughter who was six months old at the time. And he kind of said, oh, I see the picture there, is that, that your daughter? And I started answering and I could see before I'd even finished answering, he, he wasn't listening and he, I could almost see the cogs turning in his head and it suddenly clicked and went, I know what you're doing. You, you're taking me through the taking people with you model. I could literally see and go, okay, I've asked Ben if that's his daughter. I've connected personally because that's like step one of the model. And he was moving on to step two and he'd like, he's asked like the step two question before I'd answered his last question. And I suddenly realized like he's not being a leader he's doing leadership he was doing a model to me and that was how i felt i felt done to i felt kind of manipulated and like that was the big moment for me like there's a there's a di different way like this 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 isn't how i want to how i want to do things so that that was the one of the light bulb moments for me I like that you distinguish he was doing leadership versus being a leader and and that's vastly different. So in retrospect, if, if, if that person were to not go through those one, two, three, four steps and you can take people with you on this journey, what would have been a better approach, do you think, for to really engage you and to get you bought in rather than dragged along, as, as you mentioned? Well, he, he almost still could have used that model um, if he was doing it because he um, truly believed in the power of connection and, and relationship. But the fact he was almost like step by step take, taking me through it, it just felt very, very inauthentic. So sort of my approach very much now when working with leaders is, let's park all the tools and models for the time being, but let's really start to like work on and un understand us. Like who, who am I as a leader? Like what, what do I really stand for? What are my values and beliefs? Why, why do I do, do what I do? Like, what does it really mean to be a leader? What really is the, the job of a leader? And once you've got that, that foundation, 
then you can start to take the models that fit with your identity of a leader and, and use them. You can adapt a model a little bit so it fits with you and you can still be authentic and congruent. Or you can ditch a model and say, actually, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for me. It might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. So I'm going to stick with just being the, 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 the real, true and unauthentic me. Um, so, that, so that, yeah, that, that, that's my answer, I think. It sounds like being authentic is knowing who you are first and foremost and modifying things to fit in align with who you are, but also I'm hearing disregarding things that don't line up because it doesn't seem like it's going to work if you're doing things that aren't authentic. Yeah, absolutely. I often, um, I often sort of half, half joke at the start of a leadership program when, when I'm running one and say, so this is the point in most leadership programs where I'd ask you to list like some some truly great le leaders from history, and we're going to start to sort of uh, unpick, deconstruct their their style to see what we we can learn from them. And there is some some value in that, and you probably get similar list of people kind of the, the the world round. But kind of when we have conversations like that in the UK, the typical names crop up is Winston Churchill, maybe Margaret Thatcher, Sir Richard Branson, pe people like that. And like my view is like, great, we, we can learn from those people, but I'm not Richard Branson. I've got different values and experiences. I'm leading in a different time in a different sector. So whilst I can learn some stuff from, from looking at him and Daniel I'm a massive reader. I love reading biographies and studying other people, but I'm not going to try and be Sir Richard Branson because, because I'm not, I'm a different person, different time, different values. So I'm going to learn from them, but most importantly, like understand who I am, what, what I believe and, find the tools, approaches, strategies that fit with me and enable me to be true to, to who I am and, and what, what I believe. Because the moment we start trying to be somebody else, like people can sense it a mile off. They can sense we're being incongruent. Like I did when that guy came up to my desk and started asking about my daughter. Just as a, a side note here, I'm always curious, like the idea, and there's this huge push for authenticity, and I think you're making an incredible case for it, because one, it makes it so easy, so much easier. If I have to think, well, what would Richard Branson do in this situation? Now, I, I'm not being myself. It's just easier to be myself. Is there a difference? Have people ever abused that in your experience where they, they say, well, I'm just being authentic, but they're really kind of being like, a jerk or they're not being respectful you know what i mean like i'm just being true to myself like is that just an extreme case that i'm thinking of or is that not something that really comes up um yeah it, it does it does come up sometimes um yeah it does and what also comes up um i think sometimes when we're using any sort of um tool or profile that starts to define people or put them into a category or or a box that can also start to become become an excuse so whether it's a myers-briggs or an insight or a um sort of meta programs from the world of, of nlp where people go oh yeah but I, I i'm a blue so i'm very analytical so so that's just me like that's that's very very dangerous and we just need to be careful that like we, we don't ever allow that to, to, to be an excuse. And the other excuse I often hear is, uh, yeah, but, but I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm 48 years old now. Like I, I can't really change now. Like, 
actually like we, we we know that's rubbish like neuroscience we know like neuroplasticity the brain our brains are infinitely malleable so there's very little of our personality and and psyche that is is true truly hardwired so um I'm sometimes reluctant to say this, but I think the those individuals who are really invested in and care about being the best leader they can possibly be will probably never use that excuse. Those that don't quite get it would probably use use that excuse. Well said. Well said. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, Ben, in our short time we've been talking, I, you know, I can tell that one of your tools that you use to, to help shape your clients and the people who attend your seminars and workshops is stories. And because stories are... Yeah, you, you picked up on that well. <laughs> well, that's what all great communicators do, right? And, and, and you certainly have a, a great way of telling stories, but you also have identified some, some parables that you use in your training, including parables around the victims, villains, and heroes. Can you tell us a little bit more... Uh, about that yeah so i can't claim um ownership for for that idea really when i was um writing my my last book it was kind of something the, the my publishers kind of explored and and taught taught me right which is kind of really in um many great stories be they fairy tales movies not novels or or whatever you typically get kind of different different character types and there's normally a victim a villain and a and a hero um and it came about when I was part of that book was reflecting on my own leadership journey in the military and in, in the corporate world. And it, it just sort of clicked and resonated between uh, me and the, and the publishers. And I, I think these three um, characters exist in, in every workplace. So at any, any one time, we can be um, taken on either either persona right so at times we can all fall into the into the trap of being the victim sort of oh poor poor me i can't do anything about this um, i can't lead in this way because that's not how my boss leads and manages or i can't do anything about that because this is the culture of of this organization um and kind of being in victim mode just isn't a useful place for a for a leader to to operate like we it's hard to be motivated and inspired, inspiring for ourselves when we're in that state, let alone those those that, that we lead. So that's the the, the victim, really. Um, the villain, the villains, again, like we've all seen bad, bad leadership, right? It's quite kind of quite sad that um, I sort of spend time with more clients who can very easily describe the the worst leaders they've ever experienced but can sometimes struggle to describe a, a really great leader that they've been able to to work with or or, or be led by um, and we can all fall into the trap of, of villainous leaders from from time to time whether it's the maybe the sort of narcissistic leader who's just got this over heightened sense of, of, of self-importance perhaps there's the sort of slightly megalomaniacal kind of leader who's got this obsessive need for power and empire building regardless of the of the cost and impact perhaps there's sort of the the know-it-all control freak leader who micromanages wants to be in the detail of everything and and suffocates our our team and we can as i say we can all slip into those 
characters from 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 time to time and if we're honest we probably all all have done done bits of that um and then there's the 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 hero space which is kind of where we can and maybe all should strive strive to operate but that's not the hero in terms of sort of hey look at me aren't i brilliant kind of i'm out front rah rah follow me kind of i'm on a pedestal but it's just the the person that sets the example for for others to follow and provides hope and direction and and, and energy um so that's 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 where it comes from really you know, I, as you're going through that discussion, a couple of questions come to mind. One, do people, because I can imagine people identify as the hero, like in our minds, we just have this confirmation bias. But even if someone is that villain, I also was thinking for a moment as you're describing that micromanager, that they could actually hide behind a shield of a victim. I have to do this because, and then fill in the blank about the other villains that are out there. Absolutely, absolutely. And you've, you've touched on there, this sort of the, the know-it-all type of leader, um, that is the most common um, type of leadership villain that, that I see in, in, in the corporate, corporate world, um, which comes from an often misguided belief that um, as the leader, I have to have all of the answers, all of the solutions, and I can't ask others for, for, for help or, or ideas. And uh, it's kind of one of the kind of things I, of all the stuff I share with leaders, like one um, limiting belief that I really want to, to help them get rid of is that as a leader, you have to have all of the answers. You you, you don't, kind of we don't, and, and, and we can't, but we hold on to this belief that kind of, when people come to me, I've just got to be able to, to tell them what, what to do. Um, but that when when reality is, um, someone might have a an idea that's different to yours, and it might be a much better idea or a better way of approaching approaching or solving the problem than than you would than you would. And just because it's different doesn't doesn't mean it's wrong. Like different is often better. Um, and if we take our um, ego out out of the equation, then kind of things just go from from good to great, really. That's what I was wondering, like, how do you do that? If you're the leader, I can see there'd be that preconception that I have to have all the answers. Yet there's a whole, your whole team together is going to have more brain power than you do individually anyways. So taking the ego out of the equation, is there a power in knowing who you are and having a vulnerability about who you're not as well? Is that also kind of create the space for creativity and problem solving? Absolutely, I think no, know where you're strong, know where you're not strong, or where your where your weaknesses are, and build build a team around you to plug those gaps and and to complement you is, is is really key. Um, I, I also think just completely flipping the mindset. So, asking our team for help and ideas, or saying to our team, "Look, guys, here's the challenge. If I'm honest, I don't know the best way to solve this right now. Let's let's get together." and work this out tell, tell me what you think that doesn't show that doesn't show weakness like if anything that is a shows a massive sign of, of character strength and that i'm comfortable as you said i'm i'm comfortable in in myself i'm happy to show some sense of vulnerability it shows the team that i i see you i value your input your knowledge your your wisdom i'm going to come to you you for help because 
I don't have all the answers and I, and I'm comfortable with, with, with that. Like that's is a massive sign of um, strength of character for, for me. Can you tell us a little bit more about your, your formula basics done well, plus ruthless consistency equals high performance. Yeah. So there's, a, there's another story with that. So where it came from a, a, a long time ago, um, a few um, friends and colleagues of mine um, served in the, in the special forces in, in, in the British army. And like, part of me probably anyone in the military part of me always wonders like could i have done that should i have done that etc but i've always been like i was a i've always been passionate about leadership i kind of loved my time in the military and i used to i was like fanatical about learning and trying to trying to be the best i could be it's just part of my psyche and dna anyway i i just was chatting to one of these friends friends and i said so like what is it that makes what is it that makes special forces soldier different to to a regular soldier like what is the differentiating fact differentiating factor or, or the secret source and i don't remember if this was their exact words but essentially they said um said not a lot really but they said we don't do anything uh different to anyone else we don't know anything that anybody else doesn't he said we just do the basics brilliantly well and it was like all these like sparks started going off above my head and and the, the light bulb moment i went like that that's it like they just do the the basics but like exceptionally exceptionally well they just train and train and just do the drills until they can do the basics like flawlessly and i just started to to spot it in like loads of different areas when you look at great sports teams or great great businesses like it's simplicity just doing whatever the basics are for your job your sector your sport or, or whatever just just practice them like like um for listeners in the in the states like i love some of the stories around like the the late kobe bryant where he just practiced doing like how many hundred layups before like the team even turned up to to, to practice just practice and drilled himself in the in the basics um so that that's where it, where it came from and and the interesting thing is i see as people step into bigger leadership teams, I don't know if it's uh, like um, we get some sort of overinflated sense of self-importance or we think some of the basic things are suddenly below us or, or trivial, but even really simple stuff like meeting agendas and like meeting etiquette and like follow-up notes and stuff like that, it, it gets, gets forgotten. So actually if there's teams and businesses, we can get back to just executing those things brilliantly well. Like then again, the, the, the game changes. Like everyone complains about like poor meetings, right? It's probably one of the biggest grumbles that anybody who works for a reasonable sized company has, but it, it didn't re like, there's no rocket science to running great meetings. Just like have an agenda, stick to timings, clarify commitments and out outputs, sum up the meeting, like move on. Like That's it. It's like a four sentence book and you got it handled. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. But it, I love that the phrase in there, basics, well done. Just nailed on the basics. And it seems like in the times of great change, like we're, we're having this conversation in the middle of a global pandemic right now, that the basics become that much more important. Are, are there any other things from a leadership perspective that you think are important for leaders to consider during this time of uncertainty? 
Um, the first one that springs to mind really is communication, like communicate, 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 and make sure your communication is, is, is really, really clear. Like I, I don't think there's ever been any sort of um, employee sort of engagement or feedback survey where the response has come back saying senior leadership communicates too much, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah. It, just it, it just, just never happens. So clarity of communication, timely communication, I, I think is really, really key. Um, I think that's the, the main one in times of, of un, uncertainty and also for leaders to be able to, um, step back in in the moment and sort of pause in the military we always spoke about um creating time and time and space so that's a be it might be physically stepping back giving yourself time to to think it might be metaphorically stepping back giving yourself time time to think and in the business world again we can fall into the trap of thinking we always need to respond respond straight away um and again like the the military analogy um, like even if we was in a firefight or contact with, with the enemy, we would find a way to get safe, pause, think, plan and, and, and execute. And I just think if, um, if leaders in the military are able to create time and space when bullets are hitting the deck around them, um, we, we can do the same. We should be able to do the same in, in the business world. Because again, it's, it, it's rare that we are having to make snap decisions where people's lives are on the line. So create, creating time and space is, is, is really key. Incredible benchmark. You're right. If, if that can be done under the highest pressure circumstances, then absolutely there's an opportunity for business managers to take a step back in time and space and, and come up with a plan and, the, and then execute. With regards to, I mean, because it seems that there's timing, like sometimes it is important to be responsive and fast action but that usually comes from having the basics down. If you know the structure and it's a known quantity, then you can respond maybe like you've done before. But if it's a new situation, if things are changing, then it seems like that might be more important to take that time and space back and regroup and, and have that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about, you know, I mentioned a lot of people that you work with in uncertainty, like reorganization, new teams being inherited that you didn't necessarily hire that team and and that team may not be functioning as well as they could be maybe even a quote-unquote a semi-dysfunctional team any thought suggestions for someone who's kind of finding themselves in a new role where they have responsibility but they didn't necessarily design that situation but now they have obviously the responsibility to get it back on track where does one start in that regard Wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough question. Where, where, where do you start? Um, I think it comes back to, again, um, you start with, with the human, human in front of you, you start with the, the relationship and getting to know people and, and understanding what's, what's going on. Right. And you've probably kind of seen it kind of lots of people draw it. So when you look at sort of, team performance you often see it drawn as a like the classic kind of iceberg so one third is above the waterline that's the the behaviors you can see the results you can see maybe what's not being said the body language and then you've got the two just as you've got two thirds of a iceberg underneath the water in teams hidden from view there'll be a whole load of stuff around history politics motivations 
out of work stuff, kind of maybe pay and reward structures, all of that that's going to be affecting the, the, the dynamic of a, of a team. And it can be easy for a leader to say, uh, that, that stuff's none, none of my business, kind of everyone's grown up, they just need to kind of come to work and compartmentalize that. Um, but like in my experience, that that doesn't work because we, we're humans and we can't compartmentalize stuff like that. And work stuff, personal stuff, relationship stuff, it all ends up in the in, in the mix together. So I think the place to start is is really understanding um, what, what's what's going on. Um, try and step into the other people's shoes and really understand and work out what's going on, what's the frustrations, what are some of the some of the root root causes. Um, and then find, find people to help you. Like there's, there'll always be people to, to help you kind of build and, and develop your team, whether it's your in-house kind of HR or learning team or kind of consultants, coaches or, or whatever. So in, in a way, it's going back to the basics and your original model of task, team, individual from the military rather than just task, 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 because we're not silos we're not isolated what affects one affects other and it starts with the conversation it starts with the human to human understanding and if you don't have that nothing else is really going to matter if i'm, if I'm hearing correctly yeah absolutely and i think the the, the other bit that i thought of at, at the start when you first asked me the question and then forgot to to mention was like if the situation is where there's maybe a particular person or two people in in the team that for whatever reason you think aren't performing or aren't displaying the, the, the right behaviors or aren't as engaged as you you would want them to be again it does come back to getting to know the person and, and working out why because I, I genuinely believe there there are very very few people in the world who like come to work wanting to be disruptive or wanting to be be an idiot right like it's nobody sets out and has that intention when they wake up in the morning and go i'm going to go to work today and be be difficult like there's something that's that's going on that's causing them to to be, behave that way and we need to to work out and, and un, understand why like the best example of of this that, that i heard i was working with um uh, a big rail company in in the uk i was working with the leadership team and they'd managed to build an amazing amazing culture from one that wasn't really very very good and they said one of the main things we did, he said, as a leadership team, we all went out onto the front line. We met with groups of frontline workers and we asked them one simple question. What are we doing that's making your life difficult? That kind of blew, blew me away slightly. Like the, again, the, the confidence, the vulnerability to go and ask, ask that question. But that level of understanding, the kind of sitting removed from the front line, like we can do a lot of stuff unintentionally that, that makes people's lives difficult and can can de demotivate them which also sort of form this this belief that i i have that provided we've kind of recruited and built our team well our job should never really be to try and motivate our people if we've recruited motivated capable people our job is just to make sure we're not doing anything that demotivates people right <laughs> yeah which so often we can accidentally unintendedly unintentionally do it's so simple. You're right. So our job is really to try to get out of the way and let, let people shine, which is, I think it's one of the things you talk about is to be the light that helps people, you know, find their brighter future. Cause that's what people want. I love what you just said a second ago. No one wakes up and says, I, I can't wait to go to work to be a jerk. 
I can't wait to be, you know, causing mayhem and, and stress in the office. Everyone, they want to be a hero. What, first of all, I can tell that you love what you do. What, what is perhaps the, the, the favorite part of what you do, either work with individuals or, or even, even as teams? What is your favorite part? Uh, I, I don't know if I have a fa favorite part. I like a, I, I like a blend. Like my passion is working with, with senior leaders. And whilst I like um, seeing the journey that, that they go on, I, I sometimes slightly flippantly say like, it's great that I get to work with you guys, but in the nicest possible way, I don't care about you, you that much. I'm working with you so that you can make the lives of everyone who works for you, for you, for you better. It, it's that, it's that ripple effect that, that, that I like because I've had some bad bosses in the past. Uh, my wife has had some really bad bosses in, in the past and I've just experienced the, the negative impact that that can, that can have on, on people. And sort of my, I guess my, my purpose, my vision, my mission is to help play my small part in creating this world where people can go to work kind of uh, inspired and motivated to to do their very best but go home at the end of the day knowing that they are valued and cared for and, and respected as a, as a as a human being right uh, that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning i think doing that ben i can i can see the ripples having ripples having ripples awesome Thank you so much for, for being here, sharing your insight and your passion and your wisdom with us today. Ben, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, stay connected, and to find out more about you and your message? Um, probably the best place is to, to visit the website, which is ben-morton.com, or you can find me on kind of pretty much all, all of the socials under Ben Morton Leadership or uh, BM Leadership. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. It's been great fun chatting to you. To connect with Ben, again, go to visit ben-morton.com and find him on social media. Links will be in the show notes. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. You've been listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. For a bunch of free content around leadership, change, and personal growth and development, check out keyconvo.com. And if you enjoyed, be sure to subscribe and share.